The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. Amen. All right, as we get started here, let me just, let me just ask this. How many of you guys have been to like a preschooler's, we're talking like three, four, five-year-olds, like a preschooler's birthday party? Anybody been to a, a preschool? Okay, we got a lot of preschool birthday parties here. It, it, you know, I, I would tell us a specific story about a specific event, but I have four kids who were at one point preschoolers, and like it's happened, I think, with every single one of them, okay? So I'm curious if, if you've got any similar stories here, okay? So it kind of goes down like this, right? This, here's the scene. It's a birthday party, and you've got your, you know, your little, your, your kid, your three, four, and five-year-old, for our case, our little princess, right? I just only think in terms of princesses in our house, right, with all the girls. But uh, she's sitting there, and <clears throat> she's got all of her presents sitting here, right? And then all the spectators who are watching, all the little friends and the, the, the parents and, the, friend and the, par- the friends of parents and grandmas and grandpa, all, right? And she's sitting there, and it's presents time. This is the best time, right? It's presents time. And so she goes in. She goes in for the first one. She grabs that present, and she starts unwrapping that present. And, and, she, and she goes to pick it up. She looks at it. Listen, like I know there's a lot of like videos that go viral of that kid getting that one gift, and they freak out, and like all that big reaction. The reason it goes viral is because that never actually happens, Right? <laughs> Tell me, tell me this isn't true. This is, this is, you haven't seen this, right? You open up that present, you look at it. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be like a brand new pony or like a pack of number two pencils. Like you're going to get the same response for about two and a half seconds. They're going to go, ah, and then they're going to set it down <laughs> and they're going to get another one, right? Like I can just get, okay, cool. That, right, let me get another one, right? You open it up, <gasps> set it on the pile, go for the next one, Right? We love to get new things. We love to just get one more thing, right? And so then she finally gets to the one, you know the one, the one that grandma and grandpa bought. But this year, they, grandma and grandpa spent a little more than they, they usually spend because when they saw this in the store, oh my word, they're like, oh, this is exactly what she wants. And they're playing through like the scenario in their head, right? Like, oh man, when she sees that, she's gonna freak. I can't wait to see the look on her face. She's gonna run and give us big hugs and we're just gonna go frolicking around the living room. It's gonna be wonderful. And so she grabs that one and she puts it in her lap and she unwraps it and she goes, oh, and sets it on the pile and then grabs the next one, right? <laughs> grandma and grandpa are devastated. Mom and dad are like embarrassed. And she's already on to the next one and, and, and mom's over here going like, hey, honey, hey, sweetheart, hey, hey, baby girl, uh, you know who, who gave that to you? No? Hey, hey, that was, that, that was from grandma and grandpa. Oh. Right, now she's like three deep, okay? Like we're way past that gift. It's like in the bottom of the pile somewhere. And, and mom's like, uh, can you say thank you? Doesn't even look up. Thanks. And then, and then it's not just done there. It's all done. All the presents are open. And now there's this pile. Okay, now, now, okay, let me change the scenario just a little bit. Let's, let's bring it a little bit younger. You ever been like a one, two-year-old's birthday, maybe something three-year-old's birthday, right? Yeah, they're really little now. And you got this pile of presents after they've all been opened. And so you got, I don't know, like a half a dozen little toys here. 
because nobody in their right mind invites more than six two-year-olds to their house at one time, all right? So you got, you got, you got your little pile of, of toys here, and then they kind of clean up the mess, and mom and dad are now talking with their friends. They're like, okay, go, go play with your toys. And so this, this two-year-old now has this pile of toys, right? They're like, go play with your toys. You start playing with them, and then all her, all her little friends start like getting a little bit closer, right? One of the kids grabs one of those toys. I'm playing with that, right? This kid's just got a pile of toys in her lap, right? They get a little bit closer, and she's... <laughs> mine! Mine! Right? Now tell me, have you ever witnessed firsthand at least one of these two scenarios at a little kid's birthday party at some point in time? Whoa! Hands everywhere. Okay, here's the deal. First of all, that makes me feel way better than I'm not just a lousy parent, okay? Um... But here's the deal. It's because it's not actually a parenting issue. It's not even really a toddler issue. This is just the human condition. There's this thing that we're born with and this thing that tends to linger in us that that is constantly clamoring because there's this need for more and a fear of loss that seems like it just always sneaks its little head up in so many of us. But here's the deal. What are mom and dad really after in this scenario? Is it just the words thank you? Well, maybe at this little age, yes. Maybe that's all we're going for. Just a simple thank you would've been fine. Maybe share one toy, okay? But what is, what is mom after? What is dad after? What are, what are grandma and grandma, what are they really after? Well, we're really after is, is not just the ability to say thank you, but to, to learn a heart of gratitude, right? Okay, and let me, let me go a step further. It's easy to point out my kids. But let me say, what I'm actually after, because as adults, listen, we learn the social cues of how to say thank you and not look like jerks. It's in our best interest usually. But what I'm after in me is the ability to be able to, to, for gratitude to just come out. That when I'm shaking, it's not, but the gratitude would flow freely. In fact, I would say that for, for most characteristics and, 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 and spiritual attributes that we're kind of like striving for, listen, there's kind of two aspects of it. Yes, there's a discipline part. And as I discipline my, my life and I, I choose to do the things that I don't necessarily want to do, that those are Good. I don't want to live my whole entire life choosing every moment of every day to do what I don't want to do. See, I believe that following Jesus, he will reset the defaults of our heart. And I believe he wants to do that in us. And I want to be the first in line. Okay? Here's the problem. Gratitude will never flow freely with my need for more or my fear of loss is greater than the appreciation for what I have. Okay, that was long and wordy, so I'm gonna say it again. Gratitude will never flow freely, never flow naturally. When my need for more, right, and my fear of loss is greater than my appreciation for what I have. Whew, so what do I do about that, right? 
I mean, what do I, what do, I do about it? Because those voices are so loud, aren't they? That need for more is so loud. That, that, that fear of loss is so loud. So let me just ask this question, and this is where we're going we're to spend the rest of our time kind of investigating this one question. What is the heart condition that most naturally produces gratitude? What is the heart condition that most naturally produces gratitude? I'm going to spend the rest of our time together making an argument that the answer is, is an answer that is something that we don't necessarily talk about a lot and, and we don't necessarily lean into and teach on much, but I think it is absolutely the answer to the question. What is the heart condition that most naturally produces gratitude? I would argue contentment. So let's look at the scripture today. First Timothy chapter six, verse five. Now, uh, if you're wondering, this is an Acts, you're right, it's not Acts. We're going to take a little bit of a step back to look at some of the, just the themes of the season that we're in right now, some Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we'll do some New Year stuff. We will jump back into Acts. Um, I just had to wait till, till uh, Beth preached the tricky passages before we did, take a break here. Um, but we're going to look at 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verse 5, Paul is, is talking to Timothy. Timothy is a, a young pastor. Paul is a seasoned veteran in ministry, and so he's just counseling. He's kind of a, a discipler, life coach, whatever you want to call him. And he's giving him some encouragement in this letter uh, to Timothy, and he's talking about church life and, and relationships and, and treating one another and, and all this kind of stuff. But then he says, listen, there's going to be some people that oppose you a bit. There's going to be some people that don't get behind these concepts. And uh, here's some characteristics about them, Okay. He's like, one of them, they're robbed of the truth, the, meaning they're, they're, not, they're not seeing things accurately as they really are, right? They're not, they've been robbed of the truth, and here, here's what they look like. They think that godliness is a means to financial gain, okay? This, this lie is still in existence today, isn't it? That, that godliness is a means to financial gain. But l- listen, friends, I'm not going to insult your spiritual maturity. We can see right through that lie, can't we? Like, at least from this perspective, vantage point, right? Like, I know that, like, being godly doesn't get me rich. That's basically what they're saying. Like, I, I, I get that. I can handle that. But I believe what's at work here, what's at play here, is, is, is a broader principle that, that Paul is applying the financial, like, the specifics of financial gain. Listen, I believe what could also be said here is godliness is a means to personal gain. That's bigger than financial. So what do I mean by, by personal gain? In other words, what makes life good for you? Okay, like we can see through, I know, I know, we're, I'm gonna, I can see through the shallowness of be godly, I get rich. But, but are there other things that we've, that we've kind of made some ties here with? What makes life good for you? What are the personal gains that, that you're kind of chasing? And sometimes it's, it's, it's uh, oftentimes it's good things like fulfillment at work or fulfillment in my nine to five, whatever that might be. I, I just want to experience some fulfillment in life. That's, I mean, that's really what's going to make life good for me. If I have, if I have the right number of relationships, I just need, need more people in my life, I need more, or I need more depth of relationship. If I have more relationships, that's going to make life good for me. I, I, I'm not a, I, I, I don't really like conflict. Like if, if I can just have a life of, without conflict or everybody's like talking nice to each other, like, man, that's the game that I'm looking for or, or stability. I just don't like too much change. Just at least not too fast. Let me just, 
financial stability. That's going to make my life good for me. I've got a picture of what my family what ought to look like and how it ought to operate. And as long as we can hit the bullseye on that picture, like that's what gain looks like to me. Now, listen, these are all good things. But here's where this good thing becomes a dangerous thing. The moment we begin to slip into the mentality where you say, God, if I will, then you better. I know what you're thinking. No, that's not me. I don't do that. I don't do that to God. I don't do that to God. Here's the deal. Can, can, I, can I press us a little bit? The goal, the goal is that we want to walk closer with Jesus. Can I press us a little bit on this? Just, just a little bit? Um, in times of blessing and ease, even relative ease, sometimes there's motives that linger inside of us that never really come to the surface. And this would be one of those situations. Let me just, let me just paint a picture for us here for a moment. You don't have to read the Psalms very long before you hear David, the, the psalmist, ask a question in a lot of different forms, but essentially it boils down to this. Why God? You ever ask that question? Why God? It's okay. It's okay that you've asked the question. Uh, David did it all the time. It's in scripture. So it, it's got to be okay to ask the question. In fact, I, I honestly believe asking the question, why God, after you've gone through some loss, uh, is, is a healthy part of, of processing through what where, where God wants to bring you. So we, we all have these moments. And when I say loss, I think loss happens on a variety of different ways. Two basic ones is sometimes you're the two-year-old where something that you have is taken from you. It just tends to be more important than a toy. <laughs> but there's another kind of loss that we experience, and that is the loss of unmet expectation. I thought I would gain this, but I never gained it, and we feel the same sense of loss. I thought I would be here by this point in time, I thought that if I did these things, then these would happen. I thought that if it would ever, and my, I thought my adult kids were going to make these kind of decisions for their life. These, these unmet expectations we process as loss. And, and, and I have to imagine that probably the large majority of us in here have come to a place in life where you've looked at some loss or some pain or some hurt or setback, and you just looked at it and you're like, God, I don't understand. God, why? David did it all the time. God, why? I'm being hunted. I'm being killed. God, why my best friend just, just stabbed me in the back? God, why? God, like I did everything I was supposed to at work and I got overlooked in this promotion. God, why? God, I didn't expect this person to be taken from me so soon. God, why? Listen, friends, let me just tell you. If you've ever asked God why, you're in good company. But here's where you really come to that crossroads is what do you do in the moment of God, why? It's because every time David came to a guy, God, why moment, he resolved it in the person and the character of God. So he came to God, why? And he allowed himself to stay there long enough until he reflected back on the character of God. He says, God, why? I don't understand this loss, but I trust that you are sovereign. God, I don't understand why I'm in this situation, but God, you are faithful. God, why is this happening to me? But your mercies are new every morning. See, God, David comes to these God-why moments and he resolves it in the person of God. But the other option, is we get to that God-why moment 
And we say, God, why this loss? I did everything I was supposed to, but you didn't. God, I met all of the rules. God, I did, what else did you want? And God, I did all these things, but how come you let this happen to me? I want to point something out. If you've ever, and I'm going to assume there's a bunch of us who've been there. This is a common thing that so many of us do. And here's, let's just peel back the layers on this thing. Like what is happening in that moment is that all of a sudden these unspoken, unmet expectations of our heart start moving to the surface and all of a sudden it exposes something that I believe that my good lifestyle or my godliness entitles me to or ought to guarantee a certain level of ease or comfort. It's why I made the argument in the first place, right? Right? God, why? I did this and I just expected that if I did these, if I went to church every week, if I gave money, if I, if I, if I prayed every day, even like, I'm not even talking superficial thing. God, I spent time with you regularly. That if I did this, I just, like, how could you let this happen? I expected that if I was godly, you'd never let these material things happen to me. And what happens is it begins to expose some motives of our heart that actually looks a lot like godliness is a means to my personal gain. Whew, that's heavy, isn't it? See, Paul, Paul tells us what to do with that. Because it's a good deal. Every time we come to Scripture and we feel that weight, there's resolution in the character of Jesus. So look what he says next. 1 Timothy 6.5 says that godliness is a means of financial gain. 1 Timothy 6.6, but godliness, he corrects it, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, when he says contentment there, I believe what he's referring to is that John 10.10 kind of, not contentment, sorry, when he says great gain, I think he's talking about that John 10.10 kind of great gain. You know what I'm talking about, John 10.10? I have come that you'd have life and you'd have it to the fullest. I've come that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. I've come that you'd have life and you'd have rich and satisfying life. Not the rich, the monetary kind of rich, but the rich, you know what I'm talking about, the soul rich that the world can't even offer. He says, I've come that you'd have life and have it to the fullest. And I believe Paul, what Paul's saying right here is, listen, I'm going to show you the, the way to the abundant life. Godliness, like you think, you think that godliness is going to give you money? You think godliness is going to make you comfortable? You think godliness is going to, 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 to make sure nothing ever hurts you, that you never suffer loss? No, godliness with contentment is actually the abundant life. Now, here's what we often do. We think that godliness is a direct line to, we, we know it's not financial gain. We can see through that lie. I think we're maybe starting to see that it's not just personal gain, like the things that God does in this, in this life. But where we often go is that like godliness is a means to spiritual gain. And that sounds really good, right? You live godly and you'll experience the abundant life. That sounds right, right? Paul says godliness by itself falls short. Like I read the text a whole bunch of times before I was ready to say that because that seems really like heretical, doesn't it? He says, godliness by itself falls short. Here's a kind of a working definition of, of, of contentment as, as Paul's talking about here. Basically, it's this, is the ability to be at peace with my circumstances at any given moment. The ability to be at peace with my circumstances at any given 
moment. Let me give you a second definition, kind of a working definition from the illustration that we gave today. It's the absence of that need for more and the fear of loss. Contentment is being at peace with where I am and what I have at any moment, not needing more, quieting that voice of the, I have to have one more thing, just a little bit more, and that fear of loss. Paul goes on to talk about that type of contentment. In verse 7, he says, For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. In other words, if I have enough food to stay alive and enough clothes to be modest, I'm content. (laughs) That's a lower standard of living than most homeless people in our city. And he says, yeah, that's sufficient. I can be at peace. He goes on, those who want to get rich, he's talking financial, let's broaden it to the more, right? Those who have this need for more fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. In other words, the incessant need for more is a root of all kinds of evil, regardless of what kind of more it is. Some people eager for money, needing more, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, here's the thing. I really believe that the church in general, I'm not just trying to cross you, just, just the church at large, the church in general does a, a pretty decent job at, at talking about like godliness, right? Painting a picture. This is how we ought to live. Here's how we follow Jesus. Here's how we love one another godliness. I also think we do a pretty okay job with with portraying the abundant life. Man, God has more for you than just this world. God has love, joy, and peace. God has this this abundance available for you. I I think the, the problem is that there's so many of us as much as we portray that picture, there's so many of us who, who, like, as godly as we are, we continue to fall short because we can't shed that four-year-old birthday mentality. Get more, protect what I have. And so our soul is never at rest because our heart is never satisfied. And then we wonder why well, I've never, like, quite tasted of that abundant life. Don't get me wrong, I've heard people talk about it. I can talk about it. I can preach about it. I can teach you a kid's lesson about it. But if you'll be honest, there's a lot of us, I believe, who's never actually said, yeah, this abundant life in Christ that Jesus said that he came that I'd be able to live, I'm not sure if I've actually experienced it. And friends, I would argue, based on 1 Timothy, I would argue that many times, not all the time, but many times, it's not a godliness issue, it's a contentment issue. What we try to do is we get godlier and godlier and godlier. I feel an unrest. Let me go do another Bible study. I feel an unrest. Maybe if I just prayed a little bit more. I feel an, a, a soul unrest. Maybe, may, maybe if, I just, if, if I'm a little bit nicer, I feel a soul unrest. I better get back to church. I, I, I feel a little unrest. Could it be that it's not even about the godliness piece? Could it be that we've not allowed ourselves to learn true contentment? Because Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain in the abundant life. You know, we buy into this lie 
and that I'll be content when, right? right? Would you define your life? Would you define where you are right now? Are you content? Are you content with what you have? Are you content with your place in life? Or you, man, I just, if, 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 if I just had some fulfillment, man, I just, I just need, I need something that fills me up in my work. I, if I just had more relationships, then I'd, I'd be, if I just had, man, if, if, if I could just resolve some conflict and make that go away, if I could just find some stability, if I, if I, if, if, if I could get my family, my friends situation, if I could get that the way that I want, if I could get that, then, then I'd find that place of contentment. But let me just tell you something. If something has to change in order for you to be content, then you're not actually looking for contentment, you're looking for comfort. I'm gonna say that one more time. If something has to change in order for you to be content, then what you're looking for is not contentment, it's comfort. I mean, how many of you, maybe this is you, but have you ever seen somebody who's working a job, they didn't feel fulfilled, so they went and got a new job, and they went and got a new job, and they're like, man, if I, it just doesn't pay very well. So two years later, they go to another new job, and then they're at that job for a little while, and they're like, yeah, well, it pays well, but I'm just not valued. And so two years later, they go get another job where they feel valued, but this job, it's just like the environment is too chaotic. It's too fast-paced, it's too busy, like they need some order. And so then you, and two years later, you go get another new job, and then the new job, it's like they don't get anything done because it's too like chill. And then you go get, the issue, it's not a job issue. It's a contentment issue. God wants to teach you contentment where you are right now. Because if you can't learn contentment in the loss that you're facing, in the circumstances that you're walking in, in your current lot in life, don't think you're going to find it somewhere else because contentment has absolutely nothing to do with your circumstances. It has to do with our heart. Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me just, let me, there's some of you who might already be thinking this. I, wanna, I just want to address one objection that many people are going to throw out at this contentment piece, okay? If everyone, if snap a finger, everybody in the whole planet is now perfectly content, how in the world would anything ever get done, right? Here's the deal. The the question confuses uh, the definition of contentment. Listen, contentment isn't complacency. There's a difference. Contentment isn't complacency. Right? The definition we gave, contentment is the ability to be at peace with my circumstances at any given moment, or the absence of this need for more or a fear of loss. Complacency is different. Let me tell you why. Complacency is stop caring or too lazy about my circumstances to do anything about it. Either I stop caring about my circumstances, or I'm too lazy to do anything about my circumstances. In other words, uh, complacency is a disconnect from, my, from where I am right now. Complacency is a disconnect from my current circumstances, and it's a coping mechanism, all right? Complacency is a disconnect. Contentment does not have to disconnect from reality. Contentment can look lost in the face and feel the pain and have the peace of Christ because I know what's more important here. Contentment can, can walk into loss, can walk into setback, can walk into conflict, can walk into challenge, eyes wide open, and be at peace because I don't need any more from God. Contentment, listen, Paul, look at Paul. Paul was both content and driven. They're not, they're not mutually exclusive. Paul was a very driven individual. 
The fact that we would ask the question, the question implies that my only motivation for accomplishment or development or production or growth or getting things done is a need for more or a fear of loss, right? And some of us, let's be honest, this is the way the world operates. This is how the world gets stuff done, a need for more and a fear of loss. But what happens, listen, what happens when I engage things with a need for more and a fear of loss is my, 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 my vision gets a little blurry, doesn't it? Wait, no, 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 no. My vision doesn't get blurry. Other people's vision gets blurry, right? Don't, don't look at yourself for a second. You won't be able to see it. Look at somebody else. You, you look at somebody else who you're like, oh my goodness, you can just see. Their like incessant need for more is tangible. Or wow, their overwhelming fear of loss. Like, I can, like you can just like almost tangibly see this. Now look at them. Are they thinking clearly? Is there need for more in the fear of loss clouding their judgment? Yeah, so it is with you too. Well, what if we could take that off the table? What if we could learn, what if as Christians we could learn to be content, to find peace in any circumstance we find ourselves in, so that this, this, this need, we break the power of the need for more and the fear of loss from our lives. Guess what? I'm unstoppable now. What would I not do? My bravery and my faith would rise so high if I don't have to worry about what my endeavors, whether or not it's going to accomplish anything or what I might lose in the process. What would happen if all of a sudden, uh, like I didn't, it, like I could trust Jesus and just say, God, you're leading me here. I'm going to go. It doesn't really matter if I accomplish anything. It doesn't matter if I get what I feel like I need or it doesn't matter if I lose anything. My motivation is now like loving God and loving people. There's nothing that empowers godly living like contentment. So the, the objection, how will anything ever get done? Friends, I don't know how anything ever been done without it. All right. Now here's where we get into it. This all sounds nice, but like how do we get even there, right? Philippians 4. Philippians 4. I'm going to start in verse 10. It says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying that I'm saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. So if you've been with us for the last couple of years, you remember when we, we walked through Philippians and we hit this, this passage, uh, Paul, while he's writing Philippians, is in jail, right? And, and this letter, and particularly this paragraph here, is, is in response to like this church in Philippi, they're friends of his, they cared about Paul, they knew he was in, in jail uh, for preaching the gospel, so they took up this big offering, or at least some kind of offering, and they sent it with one guy who made this multiple week journey just to get to Rome where Paul is in prison and uh, to give him this support. And Paul receives this support and he's like, man, this is awesome. Thank you. That is so generous. And he wasn't excited about the money. He was excited because of what the money represented. Like you saw a need. You were motivated by Christ to, to meet my need. Man, God's doing something in you. That is awesome. But hey, 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 don't confuse that. Like don't go take up an off another offering. Like I'm good. I really am. I'm good, right? He says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. He's in prison. And when we talk about need, here's where I think we can broaden it beyond just the, the material, just the financial. Like, he has no money. He's probably got nothing more than the food on his, or the, the, the clothes on his back and whatever food they're feeding him to keep him alive. But it's not just the material things. 
while he's writing this, he just described that his ministry and his call and his passion to, to preach the gospel to, to places it's never been before. Now people who are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ are coming in behind him while he's in prison to undermine his ministry and to undermine what he's established and the reason that he's in jail to make life harder for him in jail while he's there. What? And with joy, he talks about it. He's like, hey, but you know what? As long as they're talking about Jesus, I'm good. When he says, I know what it is to be in need, he's not just talking about his financial needs. Like, he is seriously in a place of everything he's ever had has been taken away from him. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I mean, he was a who's who at one point in time. He goes on, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, been there, done that, or hungry, experiencing it right now, whether living in plenty, or in once, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. How many of you have heard that last verse before? You've heard that verse before, right? And, and maybe even, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's an interesting passage of scripture, isn't it? It's, I think, one of the most misapplied verses of scripture in all of the Bible. All right, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. As the star celebrity quarterback signs his name and autograph, right? As if implying, like, you can achieve a level of fame and fortune like I have through Christ who gives you strength. I think you missed it. Right? Or even preachers, right? We, we want to combine this verse with other verse. Like Jesus said, like, mountain be cast into the sea and it'll be done for you. Like, hey, we're going to slay giants and, hey, we're going to stand up and we're going to know the gates of hell can't stand against me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Woo! Right? Like, Yeah. Which, listen, if anybody's preached that and tied those all together, that's just fine. The principle remains. However, it's just not what Paul was saying. What he's saying is this. I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. The secret has allowed me to, to have everything in the world. Money, notoriety, comfort, popularity, fulfillment, purpose without allowing the momentum to cause me to think that I need just a little bit more. It's the lure of wealth, isn't it? I've also, I've also learned how to have nothing, literally right here, nothing, without thinking like, oh, I'll be just fine as long as, as long as I just have one more thing that I don't have right now. Without, without this mentality of like, oh, okay, I barely have anything, so I better protect what I have. He's like, I've learned the secret, and it's amazing. I've learned the secret, and it's given me peace while I'm in prison, and everybody hates me. I've learned this secret. And then Paul does, like, one of the most bogus things he does in all of the New Testament. He's just like, okay, and what I was talking about then is, or wait, wait a second, you have the secret to contentment in life, and you're just not going to talk about it? Like, you're not going to tell me what it is? Okay, maybe that's, I'm the only one that blows his mind. Like, that's, like, I'm just like, that's so messed up, Paul. What are you doing? Right? Philippians 4.12, I know it hasn't been neat. I know it is not plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. What's the secret? Honestly, I read this for a number of years looking for the answer in the text. Like, what is he pointing to? I can't figure it out. What's the secret? And then several, it's been a few years back now, I was reading in light of Philippians 4, I was reading Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, and it says this. 
Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And all of a sudden the light bulb went on. Okay, here, here it is. This is what Paul was talking about. Here's what he's talking about in, 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 in uh, 1 Timothy. Here's what he's talking about in, in Philippians, this, this contentment thing. Okay, so maybe the secret is hidden here. It's not hidden. It's right in plain sight. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The secret of contentment is security. So let me ask the question. What is your security based in? What is your security based in? Another question. Can your security be taken from you? See, I think, not that I always want to keep on going back to like 2020, but it just served as such an incredible picture of our world. And not, let's not just point our, our, our finger at the world, of the church of individuals. Though when it, when, when it just seemed like everything that could be shaken was shaken, we found out really quickly whether or not we are standing firmly on the faithful, solid truth of Hebrews 13.5. Live my life free of the love of money and I'll be content because of this one reality. My God won't leave me. You know, here's the thing. Like I said, this, this hides, some of these, the, the roots of this hides in, in ease and, 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 and blessing. And here's the other thing I think that is hard, that we, we like to go all or nothing kind of stuff. Right, the man who built his house on the rock versus the man who built his house on the sand and the one just like, boom, collapsed and the other one, he stood strong. But, you know what, when you're a little kid and you're growing in maturity, part of growing in maturity is learning how to, we might say, stand on your own two feet, right? Learning how to take your, your dependency off of mom and dad and, and, and begin to stand, right? Well, I think spiritual maturity is the same way. Right? It doesn't happen overnight for a child and it doesn't happen overnight in our, in our spiritual journey. And, and so here, I think here's what, what a lot of us do in the church, a lot of us do in our walk with Jesus. Like, are you, are you saying I'm not a Christian? <laughs> are, are you saying that I'm not standing on Christ? Here's, here's what I think a lot of us do. We, we stand on the foundation of this truth. Never will he leave me. Never will he forsake me. I love it. We stand, my feet planted on him, but I tend to lean on other things. Right? Firmly planted here. But wait a second, all my retirement might be disappearing because of the unstable uh, economic climate? Don't, don't. I'm on Jesus. No, no, don't get me wrong. I'm on Jesus, but don't, don't take this one from me. Forget money, money doesn't matter to me. I'm more secure than that. But I've always had good health. I've always trusted my health. And then healthy people start dying. And sure, I'm, I'm still on Jesus, right? I just, I just need to know that the nation that I'm a part of is secure. And when all this political junk starts happening, don't, like, don't rock that and you feel rocked to the core. I'm not saying that like you need to get saved again. 
maybe it's time to take just a little bit of the weight off and let, learn to let Jesus be enough. It, this can have nothing to do with 2020. It can be you thought you were good and then you, you suffered a loss that you didn't know was going to hurt you like it did. And all of a sudden, depression and anxiety, and it just got, it got overwhelming. And, and nothing necessarily happened other than the fact that it revealed where my security was. And sometimes I believe the loss and the pain and the setback and the challenge is a gift from God because otherwise we'll never actually recognize that we weren't really standing on our own two feet in the reality and the promise that he's never going to leave me. It's in this, friends. It's in this promise. Never will he leave me. Never will I, he forsake me. It's in this promise. It's in this reality that Paul was writing Philippians. It's in this reality that he penned the words, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he meant it. I mean, think about what brings you to the point where you said, I would prefer my life would be over, but by the grace of God, I will remain because for me to live, Christ is lifted up. What are your earthly circumstances to be able to accurately pen those words? Think of the martyrs who've gone before us and who are still being martyred today. And we look at him like, how could you stand in the midst of those circumstances? And I believe they would look right back at us and say, how are you not? Because we have this promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So stand on that. And it's time to stop leaning on the things that the world offers and be able to stand firmly in the promise. Because when we're there, watch what happens. When we can stand securely in the love of Christ, what else do I need? With eternity on my mind, what else do I need? I mean, financial security would be fantastic and, and family that gets along would be wonderful and purpose in my workplace, obviously good. And again, it's not saying that I, I don't pursue any of those things, but those are gonna come and those are gonna go. Well, I stand unshaken in the faithful love of the creator of the universe and my good, good father. So what does it have to do with gratitude? <laughs> and we said, start off, gratitude will never flow freely when my need for more or fear of loss is greater than my appreciation for what I have. But listen, now what happens, watch, <laughs> this is so good. Watch what happens when you, you flip it around. But when my security is firmly insta- established in Christ and I don't need anything else, When my security is firmly established in Christ and Christ has broken the power of the need for more and the fear of loss off of my life, then contentment is a natural product of that, right? Because what else do I need? There's no more need. There's no more fear of loss. 
So when, when my security is in Christ and, and contentment in life is a natural product, then listen, every single thing is a gift. And when everything is a gift, gratitude just comes out. If I can, can understand because of who Christ is and his promise to be my security, I don't need any more than food for the day and clothing to keep me modest. Any single thing beyond that is just a gift. <laughs> who, who, who can be gra- grateful for that? What is, the, what is the most natural heart condition for gratitude? It's contentment. What's that contentment founded in security? When I find that security, contentment flows and gratitude comes because now I'm just like, oh my goodness, I've messed up. I've blown it. God is my security. I've blown it so many times and I still blow it so many times. And yet the grace of God still shows up for me. Like gratitude pours out. I look at my family who's, who's healthy and they like, like each other. Oh my word, gratitude pours out. Even the material things, say I'm gonna pull my second car into the driveway of my house. Friends, that sentence makes me like a one percenter. I don't deserve it. God, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. How can we not? See, but when, we're, when we built our security on anything else, that fear of loss and that need for more cloud out any appreciation that I might have. Friends, this is not even about gratitude. It's about where's your security? Because the world is going to continue to talk about gratitude for four more days. I want it a little longer than that. So it's time to spend time with Jesus. It's, it, it's time to spend time with Jesus, friends. How do you develop gratitude? You, you, you're reminded who your security is. I didn't say it's time to read your Bible. I didn't say it's time to go to church. I said it's time to spend time with Jesus. Can I just give you a little personal tip? Something God spoke to me this week. Worship is a discipline that nearly always produces peace. Try that. Spend time with Jesus. Just worshiping this week. Just worshiping. And watch. (laughs) Watch as he just melts that need more and the fear of loss away. As I discipline myself into the presence of Jesus, I continually establish my security in him. And friends, the rest is just going to take care of itself. The stuff, the achievements, the accomplishments, it melts away in the presence of a God who promises he's never going to leave you and he's never going to forsake you. Father God, we are so grateful for your your faithful promise today. We are so grateful that there's not more that we need. That even in loss, we can stand secure. God, we thank you for your faithful love. We thank you for your good heart. We thank you for your grace over and over again. We thank you for your forgiveness that sets us free. 
We thank you for the church family where we can worship freely. We're thankful for a love of a father who loves beyond the capacity of any earthly father that has ever lived. We thank you for your grace and your love, your truth, your security. We're so grateful for who you are. Help us to trust you. God, like for real though, like we're, we're leaning, God, we're leaning. Help us to learn to trust you, to go cro- grow confident in your promise, to grow familiar with your presence. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.